Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our weekend slash Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I will recap rookie minicamp, everything we saw on Friday. First, we talk a little bit about Jarvis Landry, who is signing a one-year deal with the Saints. Then we get into... Uh, some takeaways from Rookie Minicamp. I do want to say, uh, as you're listening, you might hear the audio get a little choppy in spots. I was having some internet issues. Sometimes we're just sort of at the mercy of Zoom and uh, whatever weird internet issue might pop up. But uh, if, you, if you hear some choppy audio, that's probably coming from my end because uh, I had a, some connection issues there uh, in a couple spots in the podcast. But still, Definitely worth a listen. It's also worth becoming a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. A daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. Exclusive access to stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. And you can become one of our tech subscribers. Uh, All right, here we go. Our rookie minicamp recap edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go, recapping the day at Brown's Rookie Minicamp here on a, a weekend slash Monday Orange Brown Talk podcast. But let's start with a little bit of news. It was starting to go this way uh, with Jarvis Landry, but he is a f- officially no longer a Cleveland Brown. Uh, he's going back home. He's signing with the New Orleans Saints. So uh, a couple of a couple of New Orleans natives have signed down there with him and Tron Matthew. Uh, he, of course, will come back to Cleveland on Christmas Eve when the Saints visit the Browns. So I don't know. Maybe we just need to redo our schedule draft here at the end of this. Just maybe I was going to say, <laughs> I ended up getting a steal in the last round with getting that Saints game. And I listened back to it today and I'm like, I don't know. There's not really any storylines with this. I guess I'll take it. I feel so good about my power rankings now <laughs> it, it might i mean it might be unless baker mayfield ends up in carolina it might be the steal of the draft so could that's be. a value pick andrew barry is going to be very happy um but but real quick just obviously jarvis here one of the first moves that john dorsey made as, as gm um I, I think one of the things he did well was he he did bring in guys that were kind of grown-ups guys that were able to stabilize that locker room a little bit it was kind of a there were some messy things from those one in 31 years, um, which happens when you're in a building that loses a lot. So I, I guess, Mary Kay, how will you kind of remember Jarvis as the Cleveland Brown? Contagious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I will remember him for, for setting that tone, for setting the bar very, very high in terms of work ethic, uh, for really mentoring a lot of young guys. Even uh, He even mentored Anthony Schwartz a lot last year. And I think if Anthony goes on to be successful, he will be able to attribute 
a lot of that to what he learned from Jarvis. So I think that uh, it was that. And I think that he had something that a lot of other people didn't. And that was some chemistry with Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, so many guys struggled to get that natural chemistry with Baker, but Jarvis worked so hard on his hands and he was such a good pass catcher uh, that he did not have those chemistry issues with Baker Mayfield that Odell Beckham Jr. did, that, that Austin Hooper did when he came in, even though he came in as a veteran, having spent uh, the first part of his career with another team. So those are some of the things that I'll take away. And, um, you know, just, just the intensity, the passion, the fire that he brought. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I definitely remember some of those uh, 2018 uh, touchdown catches uh, between him and Baker. And I mean, just, you know, throws that you felt had no way of, of being caught and uh, they end up going for big plays. Uh, he's all, he, I remember him as the Browns leading receiver, but during his time here, but as the guy that they probably shouldn't have had be their leading receiver. Um, you don't want Jarvis Landry to be your leading receiver. I think you want him to compliment somebody else. Uh, but he was the guy they turned to when they tried to do something different with the offense. He often had the ball in his hands, uh, whether it was running, um, you know, getting, getting bubble screens, something like that. Um, and we saw him take direct snaps, but he was that guy they tried to, to do the, the Debo Samuel type of things with. I think he was the best option they had for those types of things. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think he, he was really good here, but like I said, I think, I think they, best case scenario was that he would have been number two to somebody else, but he ended up being number one. And I think that's what you point to when you look at the struggles of this past game over the last X number of years. Ashley, you didn't get the full Jarvis experience. Your, your first week on the job was the Odell week and Jarvis didn't talk to us after that week, um, which no, I was think disappointing. And he was, he was one of the really good interviews. He was a guy that, you know, if you, if you needed to ask him about a certain topic, whatever it was, he would talk to you about it. You know, after games, when they lost, you could tell, but he would still talk. He was just, he was fun to cover. So you didn't get to experience that, but just, just, I guess from afar, how will you remember the Landry experience in Cleveland? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I wrote a newsletter on this after Mary Kay reported over the week last weekend that he's, his time here was probably done. And I was, you know, going back and forth with some of our texters a little bit about this. And for me, Mary Kay already mentioned it, but the biggest thing I think people are always going to remember about him is that contagious speech from Hard Knocks. You can still go, I think it's a minute and 39 seconds. You can find it on YouTube. I found it and rewatched it this weekend when I was writing this newsletter. Um, and, you know, it's something that obviously got a lot of play at the time, but I just think even though, like you said, Dan, I didn't get to cover Jarvis the way that you all did. This is a guy who came to Cleveland and he said he was open about the fact he thought Adam Gase was sending him here to die. And even though he thought that at the time, it just, to me, always seemed like a fate he was unwilling to accept, even if he really did believe that. And I just think he's going to forever, if this ends up being, you know, the the pivotal transitional period for the Browns post-1999 uh, and Jarvis Landry isn't here beyond that now, I think he is always going to deserve some of that credit for helping to set a really high standard that other players were willing to meet him at. And, and he was a guy that was happy to be here. Um, he, he didn't want to be in Miami anymore. That, that relationship ended poorly. Um, I had a chance to talk to him like really shortly after the trade. It was like during OTAs or minicamp. And like his, his daughter was really young and he kind of, 
he's settled here. You know, now obviously he's going back home to Louisiana, so that's probably a good, I don't want to say final chapter because he's only 29, but that's a good place to kind of do the next chapter. Uh, but he certainly found a home here and settled in here as a, as a football player and also just kind of as a as a grown up. Like he sort of went from being young football player to uh, adult here. Uh, Mary Kay, Tom Pelissero tweeted as $6 million or could be worth up to $6 million. Um, so obviously, if the Browns were interested in bringing him back, it wasn't a very high price. The question I want to ask, though, is, is Jarvis the David Bell template? Kind of, uh, you know, not super athletic necessarily from a testing standpoint, but really good hands, um, very versatile, competitive. You know, to hear Kevin Stefanski talk about him, you could almost replace Bell's name with Landry. And some of those answers that he that he gave us today were pretty close. Is he is David Bell the reason that Jarvis is not here, Mary Kay? And, and is Jarvis the template? You know, I don't think he's the the sole reason that Jarvis isn't here. I think money probably had a lot to do with it. I think if the Browns and Jarvis could have agreed on some kind of a price, maybe some type of incentive-laden contract then they probably could have gotten something done because there was mutual interest. uh, Even as recently as the owners meetings, uh, both teams were still kind of talking about seeing if they could make this happen. But I do think that David Bell made Jarvis Landry expendable. He's the prototype of what they want on the inside. Uh, He is going to start out as their slot receiver. He can play on the outside, but uh, the key for them here is to play him Uh, in the slot and have him be uh, that, you know, very, very productive guy for for them. I also think it means uh, heralds the arrival of more, uh, you know, 11 personnel. I really think they're going to play more three wides this year. The signs are all there, right? I mean, getting rid of Austin Hooper, uh, David Bell coming in and, and really them talking about him playing in the slot Uh, a lot. So, you know, yes, I do think that David Bell is sort of the new Jarvis Landry, not complete apples to apples. I mean, they do plenty of different things, but in terms of just a very sure-handed, good route runner uh, who can play inside and be extremely, extremely productive, I think that's what they're going for here. Scott, is that how you see it? Yeah, I think and I wrote about uh, this, I think, last week that there really aren't a lot of options when you're looking at the slot. Uh, he seems to be the best candidate um, out of how they use tight end times. But yeah, I, I assume that he's going to be the guy. We just learned today that Jerome Ford played a lot of slot in high school, despite being a running back. I don't, I don't think that's going to have any bearing at all on what happens here. But that's just, you know, I thought that was interesting that they actually had someone else who'd been there before. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, they, they show up in week one with, with Cooper and DPJ as you know, your wide receivers and, uh, and, and bell on the slot that that would make perfect sense. Actually, I mean, same, same question when, when you're hearing Kevin talk about David bell today, it's like I said, it just sounded a little bit like Jarvis. Yeah. And I think too, when we heard David bell talk today about his <laughs> own game, he mentioned that. He just really doesn't seem phased by having to play more inside. He did do a little bit of it at Purdue, not a ton, but he did do some of that. And, you know, he said for him, the biggest things he's going to have to get used to is 
the field is a bit more crowded out there. You have the linebackers, you mentioned the defensive line dropping back, all that sort of stuff that is just going to be different for him. But he really, like when we asked him about it multiple times, he it's like it's another day at the office for him almost. So he seems up to the challenge and they seem to really like him in that role. So like Mary Kay said, it's easy to see why I think that Jarvis Landry maybe became expendable when the price wasn't right for both sides. All right, let's take a break and then let's do some uh, rookie minicamp talk. I'm back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. So uh, look, practice was not super eventful. Uh, you know, this was the only practice of the weekend that was open to us. There wasn't a lot to see a lot of individual stuff or just kind of, um, you know, the team stuff was very limited. I don't think they did any 11 on 11. I'm not sure if they're even allowed to in rookie minicamp, but it, if they are, they didn't really do it today. Let's just do this. Scott, we'll start with you. Give me a takeaway from today. Something you heard, a player that stood out. Um, just it can, um, It'll probably mostly be from interviews, but whatever. Give, give us one takeaway from today. Um, geez, I think, well, you mentioned 11 on 11. Yeah, there's no way because I was watching Jerome Ford. He was the only running back there. <laughs> uh, and they only had one linebacker there. So these guys just looked really lonely doing their drills. They were getting plenty of uh, one-on-one instruction, but there, yeah, there's no way you can do that. They, I think there was less than 30 people there. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's drafted, undrafted. There were a couple guys who were on the, in the practice squad last year, a few tryout guys and, and that's it. So I, it, it's just a bunch of drills, <laughs> a bunch of guys running through a bunch of drills. You did get to see special team drills, but um, I, I did uh, Jerome Ford uh, was kind of interesting in that he, he's in a situation now with the Browns that he was kind of when he showed up at Alabama as a freshman um, here, he's joining one of the best running back rooms in the league. You got guys front of that depth chart who uh, are clearly your, your one a and one B and Nick Chubb and cream hunt. You got Dernis Johnson. So there's just a lot of talent there. And he's joining that when he got to Alabama, he said he showed up. He thought he was going to be the guy, you know, Hey, I'm going to Alabama. I'm a, you know, I'm big time. And he walks in the running back room. There's Josh Jacobs. There's Najee Harris. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to be the guy, mm-hmm. you know? So he spent a few years there and uh, kind of had to, I guess, gain confidence during that, that situation. And, and ultimately he ended up going to Cincinnati and playing time was just going to be a, a better situation there. But, um, but it is very similar to that. And he's going to get, you know, the full taste of that when OTA start, you know, assuming all those guys are in the room, but, uh, He's been through that before. Um, so I'm curious to see. I mean, we're still not really sure what kind of role he's going to have on this team. He's as every I think every single rookie that we talked to today said, oh, yeah, I'm all for special teams, whatever, you know, however they want to use me. And he was just like that. He he knows that that's probably his path um, to getting on the field this year. But uh, they drafted a running back. They have plenty of good running backs. Uh we've speculated about what that could mean for the future. But one thing I took away today is that he's, he's clearly in a situation that he's familiar with now. It's, you know, it's how do you work your way up that depth chart? Yeah, Ashley, probably the weirdest pick the Browns made on the weekend. I mean, they, they went cornerback first, which was a little bit like took some of us by surprise, but picking Jerome Ford where they picked him like a running back that was like, okay, what exactly are, are, are they doing here? But, he's, he's going to get an opportunity. You always do in the NFL. You can't just redshirt guys. 
Yeah, and I, I remember when we did our podcast, like right after that draft, Doug kind of like eviscerated that pick. He, he just felt like it, right? Like, did he say like that? It just felt like they're like, we don't know. We're on the clock. And this guy seems like decent, I guess. Uh, the sample size isn't that big. He had one really good year at Cincinnati, obviously. But I mean, I guess if you're going to take a chance on a guy like that, and they like his ability in the pass game, it's kind of like what better way to learn than learning behind Kareem Hunt, maybe? That's, that. there are worse things in the world, I think. So um, I don't know, it's a gamble that could play off, but I think pay off, but I think everything has to go kind of exactly right with developing him. You know, Mary I, Kay, oh, go ahead, Mary Kay. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think that um, the fact that Kareem is heading into the last year of his contract and Dearness Johnson is heading into the final year of his contract, you know, these guys draft for the future and they're looking to restock the room. And, uh, you know, I think it's a sign that perhaps, you know, maybe Kareem won't be back after, after this year, you know, maybe they'll just go ahead and let that, uh, let him play out his contract and he might want to see if he can go be, uh, you know, the lead workhorse for some team. If anything, I think it might have some kind of an impact on on Dearness Johnson. If Jerome Ford looks really good and he looks like he can uh, cut it and play the part and play, uh, you know, play the role, then that could possibly mean something for Dearness Johnson because he is making a significant amount of money for a number three back at this point. So that's something to keep an eye on uh, as we move forward here. But more so than anything, it's, you know, it's a depth slash future pick. Everybody in that running room is making a significant amount of money, really. Like I think Kareem Hunt is making more this year mm-hmm. than Nick Chubb. His, his deal doesn't kick in until next year. I think they're both top 10. So, yeah, a lot of money going towards running backs. Ashley, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'm going to stick with listening to Cade York talk. It's understandable, I think, why the Browns are drawn to the mental side of his game. And even before the draft was even near, even before they drafted him, I, I brought this up before, like when we talked to Mike Prefer in January, he mentioned that they wouldn't draft somebody just to draft them. It had to be the right guy and that the mental aspect of kicking was a big part of that. And to me, it's so interesting that Cade York has that because he's still young, right? He, for, he forewent his senior year, so he's uh, still relatively young. He's still relatively new to kicking the switch over from soccer. And so he's able to go into these, you know, huge sec environments and succeed the way he did. Um, that part of it's understandable. And then just about his desire to learn, like the big takeaway from him today was that he's already had a very lengthy, lengthy phone call with Phil Dawson, um, who obviously is known for his ability for managing the tough conditions that can arise at first energy stadium because of the weather. Um, and all of that, I think you can't ask for anything else when you have a rookie, right? Like this willingness to learn, plus these traits and this skill set that you already like with his really big leg. I, I just think overall he, to me on the surface level, that from what we've seen is everything that we. And you know what? He knew that he could not show up for rookie camp and not have talked <laughs> to Phil Dawson. Right. I mean, there was just no way he could do that. He knew he was going to get grilled about it. I mean, it probably happened last night at like midnight. And he was like, oh, no. crap, 
I gotta call Phil. In in Cade's defense, he did say it happened last Friday, oh. but I do think this this plan, Marie is this was probably right. Somebody <laughs> probably told him they're going to ask you about this. So here's the number. You two can set up a time while Phil is in Austin for a nice little chat before yes. rookie camp starts. Absolutely. It's along the, uh, the lines of Jed Wills having to talk to Joe Thomas and Alex Wright. Uh, connecting with Miles Garrett, but no, I mean, I mean, if you're going to be a kicker in Cleveland, obviously you have to talk to Phil Dawson. So good for him. I think Phil will be good for him. I think Phil still wants to be involved with the team. And I think that's good for, uh, that'll be good for Cade and that's good for the Cleveland Browns. So yeah, I think it's a cool thing. And I think one of the things uh, that, that actually, you know, stood out to me a little bit about Cade York over the last uh, you know, is when, um, you know, I tried to dig into a little bit about the whole kickoff thing and discovered that they had like the best kickoffer in the history of kickoffers at. I think we LSU. just made up a word. Yeah. <laughs> he did mention that too. Cause obviously like Mary Kay's saying that's kind of like a big question mark by him. And he just, he like kind of laughed like, yeah, you guys haven't seen me do that very often, but. I'm, I'm more than in my skill set there. So like, as Mary Kay was saying, when you're behind, like maybe one of the best people in the school's history to do that, like it's understandable why we didn't see him there, but it doesn't mean he was quote unquote bad at it or anything. Right. It seems like they should hire Phil Dawson as a consultant. I sent that out to our <laughs> tech subscribers today. Like to, just, just have him on call for these situations, the way they go through kickers, like just he's there, he's the resource. Okay. Here's what you need to know. And you know, you're all set. I don't know how much that would pay, but I'm sure he'd be up for it. And he would just be. put a bat phone in his room. You know, it's like when it rings or lights up, he knows. All right, Brown's got a new kicker. And behind the scenes of today, a little bit, uh, after, you know, the Cade York talks about this wonderful conversation, Dan and I probably spent 15 minutes trying to figure out the directions of First Energy Stadium in relation to where we sit to, to remind readers where that Phil Dawson flag is located. It took us a little while, but the answer is the southwest corner. I, I drew a picture. I actually, I drew like a picture of the stadium and I put the water and the press box and we were trying to figure out the directions. It was, and we realized that we are not good at directions. No. That, that was the I was looking for the flag last year. I could not find it. <laughs> I think they might've, I think it might've come down because I noticed it last year. Uh, it's by the dog pound end. It would, no, it's like, no, no. Okay, here we go. See, I should have, I should have brought my chart. Wait, where was I during this uh, discussion? I thought it was in the dog pound. I think I would already gone to You were on your way to the, Mary Kay, you were on your way to the Nick Chubb. I was on my way to Chubb. All right, so don't tell me. Don't tell me. See if I can figure it out. So so the flag is located. You're saying that it's located. Where is the flag? In the southwest corner of the stadium. In the southwest corner. That does not help me. Okay, so that would be. we're in the press box, we're looking north. So that would be down right right on our side down in the corner that would be to the left from the, from the right which means nothing to the people listening to this but yes <laughs> opposite I, end from I, the dog pound i yeah. also did like i had to get confirmation from the browns head of communications on this because i didn't we did not know the answer like there was we were directions i literally had to double check so i thought for sure there used to be like a flag also like and if you want to think of it as a corner between the corner that's in between the dog pound and the brown sideline, that there was something there thought. for that, that open area 
that comes through. Um, I always assumed that was it, but me too. That's I where I, I think wrong. I got confused. That's <laughs> like, why I think yeah. I got confused, and I'm glad I asked about it because <laughs> I would have said the exact opposite direction of where it actually is. But I don't know if the flag is there anymore because it was the little. It was a little orange flag. It wasn't the big flag. It was one of those little orange pylon flags, yeah. and I got in the habit of checking the wind because our texters always ask us pregame, "How's the wind?" So I got in the habit of mm-hmm. looking at that flag. And it wasn't there in the second half of the season, which maybe maybe explains why they had to go draft a kicker. I smell a story for this. Somebody sabotaged Chase McLaughlin. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) All right. Phil used to go through uh, these elaborate machinations of of weather. And I mean, he he could actually be on TV as a meteorologist at this point. Mm. Uh, that could have been his second career because he went through uh, so much about the wind and the weather and the, you know, what was coming down the pike and he knew everything. And so we'll have to see if, uh, if Cade York follows in his footsteps that way. Can we just point out that just an example that Mary Kay is the hardest working reporter in the business. I think she just made hot pockets in a microwave or something while she's talking to us. She's, <laughs> I'm making tea. <laughs> Brown's analysis while also making food. That's it. it's it's tea time. I'm having I'm having high tea in the Brown's <laughs> media room. We're not on video right now, so I, I can That's do right. anything. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Our videographer would be having a heart attack right now if we were doing actual if we were doing video. <laughs> I also want to mention, since we're so far off the rails, I want to mention that we kind of hit. For the most part, Brown's rookie minicamp bingo today. Phil Dawson, <laughs> LeBron James, and Joe Hayden. Oh, yeah. So we, we still got a Joe, just not oh, Joe Thomas. Right. The only one we didn't get is Joe Thomas. So that's the only square we didn't get today. But we came pretty but again, close. Like, I was not, I don't think you guys were either. I did not hear Dawson Deaton talk That's today. True. I don't know if anybody asked him about Joe Thomas. Now, he's an interior lineman, so I don't know why you would, but it's a possibility that we have to account for. All right, we got too much sun today. Uh, Martin Emerson is mine. <laughs> um, I, I just, you know, everybody talked about his length today. Kevin talked about his length and, and what it kind of means and what it does, and I looked it up. He's got 33 and a half inch arms, which I think was the longest at the combine tied with sauce Gardner. Um, it's like two inches longer than Denzel Ward and Greg Newsome and greedy Williams, like those arms. And, and you can see it, right. One of the benefits of rookie minicamp was we do get to see these guys on the field. We do get to see them, even if they're not doing anything, we at least get to get eyeballs on them. And you could just sort of see that size and, and that length. Um, when he was on the field, he knocked a coach over. Um, I got to see that happen. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, he's just different. He's just different than the other guys in that room. And you're, you know, it's kind of why I'm starting to understand why they liked him so much and why they decided to make him their first pick. Well, now we have to report him to the uh, league office for contact <laughs> in a non-contact practice so you know it's all it's all going to be downhill from here but um but anyways no he did he looked the part he he looked the part we talk about passing the eyeball test and I'll tell you what even just sitting there talking to him you know you could just see 
you know, the athleticism, the, you know, just the, the physique, the, the long arms, the, uh, you know, just the height, and that's going to come in handy against some of these bigger cornerbacks. And I think the, um, the thing that is interesting is um, that he really did play against these excellent SEC uh, receivers, and that's going to come in so handy for him. I mean, you know, when it comes to, to trying to, to go against, you know, the Jamar chases of, of the NFL, he will have worked against those kind of guys. And, and he, he's going to be ahead of the game because of that. Yeah. And the good thing is though, he, he won't have to go against those guys right away. He's going to be probably looking at maybe third receivers. Um, not that he's going to be in the slot, but he, you know, I don't think they anticipate him being out there getting a lot of reps against the best the other team has. Um, so he's in a really good spot and that he can kind of ease his way in and not be kind of thrown into the fire. You know, Greg Newsom did fine, but, uh, there's also, you know, easing someone in, something to be said for that. Yeah, and then Newsom was a first-rounder. You yeah. know, this guy is it, – it's kind of hard to remember because this guy was the first pick, but, you know, this guy was a, a third-round pick. So maybe it will take a little time. But, Ashley, I do think he is going to have some chances to get on the field, especially if Newsom gets moved to the inside a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. And Kevin Stefanski, you know, made a comment. Of course, he's never going to reveal anything in terms of, like, oh yeah, this guy's for sure going to be our slot corner. He says they think they have multiple guys who can fill that role. Um, But two, like Martin Emerson, the thing for me that is interesting is in college, he just was not targeted by opposing teams a lot. So there's so much room for potential. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like 15% or fewer of the snaps he played. He like actually saw some targets from opposing teams. So when you look at number his numbers and, you know, only the, the one interception is what comes up a lot. Like there's a lot of room for him to grow there. And I kind of understand, like after seeing him, why they think maybe he's, he's more versatile. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski talked about when you have a guy with that length, even though opposing teams are going to work on the line of scrimmage versus them, even if they gain a few inches, it's like, okay, well, his arms are still, 33 inches long. So he has some room for, for error in those situations. You know, if he's successful, I think this is the kind of place where your personnel department uh, really earns their money because there was such a, a wide disparity in evaluations on him. I saw he heard anywhere from the second round. And then I saw all the way to Dane Brugler. Didn't he have him as a fifth round pick? I think. Yeah. So it was Dane, all over the place. Yeah. It was all over the place. And, uh, and so I think it'll be remarkable if he works his way up into becoming uh, one of the starting cornerbacks or one of the guys that's on the field in uh, when they're in the nickel defense or dime defenses or whatever. So, yeah, as of right now, I don't know. He looks like they, they might be onto something with him. All right, Mary Kay, uh, last one here. What do you have? Well, I have a couple of things and and they are related to uh, these guys passing the eyeball test. And I think that that's the thing that stood out to me today is that when we watched David Bell out there, he looked like an NFL receiver. Now this, they're, they're only going rookies on rookies right now, but they just physically look the part and they look like they belong. Now that's might sound like, Oh, well, isn't that what it's supposed to be like? But it hasn't always been like that. It has not always been like that. You can tell that these guys 
uh, really scouted these players, fit their system, and uh, they they look big and fast and strong, trying to look the part. I mean, I can you know we watched Perion. We talked to Perion Winfrey today. He looks like a player that is going to be ready to step in and probably start at three technique this season. I, I feel like that's where it's going. And then Alex Wright, really cool guy, by the way, really, really interesting guy. I think he's going to get along really well uh, with Miles Garrett, you know, just interesting, smart, engaging, interested in a lot of different kinds of things. Um, but I mean, he looked the part even just, you know, going through the bags, you know, you could just see the, the athleticism and the speed and the power and the explosiveness. Um, and then we talked about Martin, but, and even Cade York, I mean, they, they all look like NFL football players who are going to have a chance to succeed and excel on an already really good roster. And, uh, and it just, it, it looks like a pretty good class so far. I do think that's the biggest thing to watch for at minicamp at, at this minicamp is like, do the guys you drafted look like they're just a little bit different than the guys who are there on a tryout basis and, and the guys who might not make the team because two weeks from now, we're going to see David Bell and Alex Wright and Perry on Winfrey against like NFL players, veterans, guys who have been in these programs and weight programs, diet, all that stuff that, you know, you, you do notice that difference. So seeing them kind of show up to rookie minicamp and it's like, okay, this guy looks, you know, David Bell didn't drop a ton of passes and Perry on Winfrey looked like he could move and all it, it's little stuff, but Scott, it feels like it's, it's that that's kind of what you gain from these practices. It's just kind of seeing how guys look and how they move. Yeah. And I guess, I guess you would hope that your draft picks would kind of stand out a little bit in a rookie minicamp, you know, if it was the undrafted free agents that are, you know, looking a little better you might have have an issue um i don't think i saw the, the quarterbacks today like felix the felix harper yeah from Alcorn state 510 180 he's not a guy that you look at and think nfl quarterback not that he didn't make the throws or anything but i think that's the difference between a guy that is in camp uh to kind of help fill out drills versus a guy who looks the part now he might he might catch on and be a practice squad, you know, sign you somewhere and that's great. But I think that's like to me that was like, wow, that guy that guy really kind of stands out for for a different reason. Um, it was a little odd, but I did want to mention Perry and Winfrey though because after his big you know introductory press conference on Zoom that kind of went viral, I really wanted to get a look of like what was the Perry and Winfrey experience in a live action practice. Not that it was really a full practice today. Um, and I don't think we got the full look. I think maybe when we get to the point where you're seeing drills going 11 on 11 or something like that, maybe you'll get it. But uh, he, he was flexing during like warm-up sprints. <laughs> and there was, there was a tip drill where they were, the linemen were just watching and he just let out a big, like somebody laid out for a, a ball and he let out a big yell and flexed. And, you know, when he goes through drills, he's just like grunting and, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that once once everybody gets there and once you're actually doing some more like real football things, uh, he's going to be fun to watch. He's he certainly seems to to live up to the hype that we've heard from everybody. I think it was Isaiah Thomas today said, "Yeah, that's you know during walkthroughs, you know in college he'd just be be whooping it up and they're like just settle down. This is a walkthrough, <laughs> you know." 
Uh, I don't know if it'll be that way around veterans, but he was like that today. (laughs) Actually, I mean, he told us that he didn't sleep the night before he came to Cleveland, that like he just stayed up and sat at the table and waited for his mom to wake up to go to the airport. And he said like he didn't sleep when he was at the senior bowl. He said he slept like an hour a night and somebody was finally like, how do you perform when you don't sleep? And he's like, I don't know. Like, I don't need any caffeine up again, which reminds me one of our tech subscribers. I I can't remember who you were. You said a few weeks ago, you thought his nickname should be decaf. I did ask him if he liked that as he walked away and he laughed. So (laughs) phenomenal, phenomenal. Like he's on board with that. It sounds like. But yeah, I just think like he lived up to what we saw on Zoom, which obviously he was super hyped that he just got drafted uh, when we talked to him then. But you can tell this is just a really high energy guy, kind of regardless of the circumstances. And, you know, it's a guy who, again, like I talked with Martin Emerson having room to grow, and and he talked a little bit about it today that he's going to have more opportunities, I think, to do what he is really good at in terms of disrupting rushing the pass passer and he didn't get a lot of chances to do that at Oklahoma and do those sorts of things um, that I just think he's going to to have more of an opportunity to play a bit more creatively into his strengths here in and I know he's talked about that before too that maybe he wasn't utilized in the best way all the time there so I just think this is a big opportunity for him and I'm I, I understand why he has become a fan favorite as quickly as he has after talking to him in person. And Dan, 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 I have to ask you something because you spent a lot of time talking to the, uh, the basketball dude. Oh yeah. Marcus uh, Marcus Santos Santos Silva. Silva. So what did you think? Does this guy have a chance to, uh, to make it in the NFL and make that transition? So I think the Browns will give him enough time to, to have a chance. Um, I I just thought it was interesting. The process, it was like four weeks. Like it was four weeks ago that he's like, Oh, I'm going to try football. And (laughs) the Ravens wanted him. There were a bunch of teams that wanted him and the Ravens actually, it sounded like maybe he was headed there, but the Browns gave him a better opportunity. So he ended up coming to Cleveland. Um, They loved he joked that his 40 time, they didn't tell him what his 40 time was when he came to Cleveland to work out. It was the first time he'd ever run a 40. So he just assumed it was bad. And then uh, <laughs> he started running routes and they said, oh, these, they were happy with the routes. And they said, don't worry about the 40 time. So I don't know what the 40 time was. <laughs> Apparently it was not very Love good. Um, I, it's interesting. You know, this is kind of what teams are trying to do, right? When Antonio Gates did it back in whatever, 03 or 04, that was like a novelty. And, you know, there weren't many guys that had done it. But now it's this is what teams are starting to do. They're starting to look for these guys. And I thought Kevin was interesting today talking about, you know, the guys a power forward um, kind of fits that mold of what you want. So we'll see. I, I wouldn't have super high expectations for him right away. But if he's big and he can box out and he can go get the football, he'll have a chance. It is. It seems like we talked to so many guys today about their basketball, like David Bell too. Like he was a really good basketball player in high school in Indiana, where obviously basketball is king. And like hearing these guys talk about it, I've talked with JOK about this too, who was also a really good basketball player, still loves the sport. Greg Newsome, like a lot of these guys have a basketball background and they talk about like doing, being able to do things like high point the ball, like boxing out, lateral movement, all that stuff. Like 
does sort of translate, it sounds like, for these guys who are just really phenomenal athletes. And I do want to I do want to mention, too, that I asked him if he'd seen Miles Garrett's basketball highlights. And he said he has and he wants to play Miles Garrett one on one. All right. Well, there was a basketball hoop like 10 feet away from where you yes. were doing that interview. Yes, there was. So maybe uh, hopefully we're not going to be writing the story about Miles Garrett and a and a transitional tight end injuring themselves and <laughs> yeah. missing the first half of the season. But <laughs> He wants to play Miles one-on-one, so we'll see if Kevin lets Miles unretire for that matchup. Well, there was a hoop right there today, so. Yeah. I know, I know. It's like, come on, let's let's do this. Let's do it right now in front of <laughs> We have to remember Miles did unretire for NBA All-Star Weekend, and he did play in Kevin's. It was for charity, so he was okay with it. No, no harm, no foul. So we'll see if Miles presses his luck any further in the basketball they, universe. They just need to come up with a charity, right? Make it a charity yeah. game. Yeah, they need we need to get those TNT guys because, you know, Shaq and Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley made all kinds of bets with Miles before that game in Cleveland. So maybe those guys will get on board again and then we can see what happens. Or the Browns and the Steelers can resurrect their uh, their game. I think they played multiple times. It was like late 70s, early 80s. Uh, They would play some charity games. I just see uh, there seem to be a lot of. Best players ready to go on the Browns. <laughs> Wasn't it? They used to do like student teacher games in high schools. They should do like a Browns players <laughs> versus coaches. I mean, Kevin, Kevin's a basketball guy. He could probably, he could probably hang a little bit out there. Um, all right. Again. All right. We're, we're going way <laughs> too much Friday. sun. It's too much Friday. sun. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. Ashley mentioned our texters. They're giving us nickname suggestions. So if you want to be involved with that, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the info and get signed up. And of course, subscribe uh, to Orange and Brown Talk on Apple and Spotify. For Mary Kay, Ashley, and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>